share a couple of things with you. Uh, one of them is another song by Aradna called Jaya Dev. And another thing that I'm going to share is an excerpt from a talk by uh, Ravi Zacharias. I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about uh, with so many overlapping voices, I have no doubt there's going to be some repetition and some reminders of why there is reason for hope and how it is that at all times, no matter what happens in history, God reminds us that uh, in the end, he does triumph, not oftentimes in spite of all that happens, but very often through all that happens. And I think there's a big difference in understanding that. I'm going to have you turn with me to the book of Acts, and I'm going to ask you to turn to the seventh chapter of the book of Acts and read for you a few verses, because this is really one of the darkest moments in um, Israel's history. Hardly the church's history. It is uh, not looking good. One of their great saints is about to be martyred. And uh, they thought for many that they were really putting a final nail into the coffin of the early proclaimers and the early preachers. Stephen is one of those people. And if you were to read the entire chapter of uh, number seven in the book of Acts, you'll see what a marvelous job he actually does of putting the historic links together. It is a phenomenal exposition, almost a little bit like Moses did in the early days, or like Nehemiah did, or like Ezra did. Many of these great anointed servants of God, when their moments were coming of tremendous trial, they would retrace the history, only to remind the people that even in those dark moments, moments, not to forget how many darker moments there had been in the past and how God shone a light in the midst of all of that. So in Acts chapter 7, reading from verse 48, I'm really picking up after he has gone from the time of Abraham to remind the people of all that God had done. In verse 44, he says, our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. He goes through how David offered to build a dwelling place and in verse 48 he picks up 
However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And the next chapter begins with the verse, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Father, I pray you will bless this time of reflection and thinking and help us to recognize how critical a moment this was for the early church when one of their great heroes was about to be put to death. And you reminded all of them that through these marks of great burials, you were still going to build your church and make it triumph. I pray you will guide as we weave our way through these thoughts and that you will bless and instruct. I thank you for a great week that has preceded and for all that have ministered and spoken and for those who've labored so hard from behind the scenes to make it possible for everyone present here. May your voice be clear and your conviction very pronounced in every heart. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. You know, many times you and I read moments of history when we say to ourselves, has it ever really been this bad? Was there ever such a despair? Was there ever such a moment as you looked out of your window and thought to yourself, this is the worst we've ever seen? I do think that about now. I have to confess that because I think the ability to disseminate ideas and destructive ideas is so possible now. Within minutes, millions of people can be receiving a message. And in effect, the Tower of Babel is being built. Only now it is not being built with bricks and mortar. It is being built visually by the assault on the imagination. And yet if you go back again and again and read writers or journalists, you come across that same feeling 
They think something is collapsing before them. I want you to just listen to two or three comments going back across history. Here, for example, G.K. Chesterton. Under the smooth legal surface of our society, there are already moving very lawless things. We are always near the breaking point when we care only for what is legal and nothing for what is lawful. Unless we have a moral principle about such delicate matters as marriage and murder, the whole world will become a welter of exceptions with no rules. There will be so many hard cases that everything will go soft. Unless we know the difference between what is legal and moral, there'll be so many considered as hard cases that everything will become soft. Alfred Edesheim in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. If you read it, you'll think he's talking about today. Here are a couple of paragraphs. Religion, philosophy, and society had passed through every stage to that of despair. Without tracing the various phases of ancient thought, it might be generally said that in Rome at least, the issue lay between Stoicism and Epicureanism. The one flattered its pride, the other gratified its sensuality. The one was in accordance with the original national character, the other with its later decay and corruption. Both ultimately led to atheism and despair. The one by turning all higher aspirations selfward, the other by quenching them in the enjoyment of the moment. The one by making the extinction of all feeling and self-deification, the other the indulgence of every passion and worship of matter, its ideal. It would be unsavory to describe how far the worship of indecency was carried, how public morals were corrupted by the mimic representations of everything that was vile, and even by the pandering of a corrupt art, the personification of gods, oracles, divination, dreams, astrology, magic, all contributed to the global decay. It has been rightly said that the idea of conscience as we now understand it was unknown to heathenism. Absolute right did not not exist. Might was right. The social relations exhibited, if possible, even deeper corruption. The sanctity of marriage had ceased. Dissipation and general dissolutions led at last to an almost entire cessation of marriage. Abortion and the exposure and murder of newly born children were common and tolerated. Unnatural vices, which even the greatest philosophers practiced, if not advocated, attained proportions which defied description. 2,000 years ago. Then in the 1700s, Pascal said, it is in vain, O men, that you seek within yourselves the cure for all of your miseries. All your insight has led you to the knowledge that it is not in yourselves that you will discover the true, the good, and the beautiful. The philosophers promised them to you, but they were not able to keep their promise because they do not know what your true state is or what your true condition is. How then could they have provided for you a cure for your maladies? All your insight has led you to the knowledge that it is not in yourselves that you discover the true the good and the beautiful. They have taken you to one of two extremes, either pride by self-deification or indulgence by the prolific satisfaction of the flesh. He goes on and on. He says, on the one hand, they take you to uh, mimicking God because they think you are divine, or they take you to eroticism and lust, he says, which is the lot of all animals. Same thing. Identically the same thing. 2,000 years ago, 
200 years ago, a century ago, you come to a moment in history where you say, is it really going to work? Is all of this going to work? How did he say it? If they've offered God to you for an object, it is to pander to your pride. They made you think that you are like him and resemble him in your nature. Those who have grasped the vanity of such pretensions have cast you down at the other end of the abyss and have led you to seek your good and lust, which is the lot of animals. 200 years ago. Between pantheism and hedonism. How do we respond? I remember reading Elie Wiesel, who talked of this man, came to Sodom, determined to save its inhabitants from sin and punishment. Night and day he walked the streets and markets, protesting against greed and theft, falsehood and indifference. In the beginning, people listened and smiled, ironically. Then they stopped listening. He no longer even amused them. The killers went on killing. The wise kept silent as if there were no just man in the midst. One day a child, moved by the compassion for the unfortunate teacher, approached him with these words. Stranger, you shout, you scream, don't you? see it's hopeless yes I see answered the just man then why do you go on I'll tell you why in the beginning I thought I could change man today I know I cannot if I still shout today if I still scream it is to prevent man from ultimately changing me it's very easy to happen to become cynical and to think that this kind of uh, thing is going to happen and I'm just going to keep on shouting so that nobody changes me cynicism is just the last link before apathy. You will become totally indifferent towards doing anything. Please don't let that ever happen to you. Where you move to the cynical notion and then you're one step away from becoming apathetic and saying, I really don't care anymore. Nothing is going to change. I want to give you three great lessons from Stephen's talk that reminds us that in the darkest moments, sometimes the brightest light is about to shine. And I am absolutely confident that's the way it'll be even in our time. The first is this, they saw the finger of God in all of history and Christ as its central figure. They saw the finger of God in all of history and Christ as its central figure. That always gave them the hope that this was not something that was going to catch a sovereign God offhand. That's why Stephen, minutes away from his own martyrdom, takes them all the way back to Abraham and brings them right through the time of David onto the present and he said, you who have an uncircumcised heart and ear, you stoned even the prophets that spoke of his coming and then ultimately even did away with him. But don't you know how this is the same one whom God has raised up and through the resurrection offered hope once again. And I like the glimpse he gets. I'm only imagining that when he sees the right son of God standing at the right hand rather than sitting at the right hand of God. Is that he's standing in order to receive Stephen. Like a great monarch who stands up at the arrival of somebody very special to receive him. He's not remaining seated. And I think what Stephen sees is that his glorious reception lay. The fascinating irony here is a man is about to die. The son of God is standing up to receive him. And at the corner is standing another young man watching over the bags that the stoners have kept and parked on the side 
totally unknown to that man is that he was going to take the place of Stephen and do something even greater, how God was going to transform his life and make him the the spokesperson to the world. That's history sandwiched in just one verse. Jai Deva, Jai Deva, Narhari, Narhari. 